Welcome, everyone, to the Coffee Theology and Jesus podcast. My Apple Watch. I am your host, Tim Whitaker, wearing my Apple Watch. I am happy, your Rob. Host, Tim I said Whitaker. that. <laughs> it's like in Hot Rod. Yeah, I was thinking the same thing. I like to party. I am Rod, and I like to party. <laughs> anyway, um, welcome everyone to the episode. I'm joined here with my my co-hosts, Rob and Jordan. See, we. Rob, oh my goodness! I'm sorry. I <laughs> no, it's his thing. It's okay. It's, yeah, <laughs> it's Rob. Oh my goodness! All Everyone right, has anyway. to like turn their radio. For those of you who can't car. see Rob, he oh, is Rob's once talking. again like three feet away from the microphone. But I'll get him there one day. I'll, maybe maybe what I'll do is I'll put like a treat on the end of the mic, so you have to keep real close yeah. to it. If it's if a lemon bar. I'd probably do it. Perfect. Yeah. Done. Anyway, it's kind of baller though that you like sit back in your chair and <laughs> you know, no doubt, no doubt. Talk all quiet. Wow. <laughs> Doesn't well, welcome care. everyone, like we said earlier, to the episode. Um, we got a pretty good one this week, um, we in hope. my opinion. What do you we guys have a pretty think? good one every week, if it's just my opinion. By the way, can I tell you guys we a funny really story? <laughs> so, Go ahead. I was at a party with some older friends the other day, some people I haven't seen in a couple of years. Oh, I thought you meant older, like 60s, <laughs> 70s. <laughs> it was a bingo party. Um, yeah. And I was so surprised... Because several of them came up to me and said, I just love your podcast. And I didn't know how to respond to that because, well, you know, it's me. And in our friend circles, well, for instance, my co-host has, unfriend, has unfollowed me on Facebook. That's how Yet most again. of my friends see me. So, so it was a beautiful, um, a beautiful I, I wouldn't say reminder, but a nice uh, surprise. A nice surprise and delight. Sure to be told that people enjoy our podcast. So to my friends out there listening, thank you. I do appreciate it. Well, if it makes you feel even better, I the amount that we had to spend on uh, putting the podcast out with Amazon Web Servers tripled last month. It did? Yeah. Wow. Went from like Does 26 cents to over a dollar. Our listenership <laughs> tripled? And, I hope so. And by... From by 26 to one... <laughs> Hundred and by by costs you mean your cost? Yes, because we're not my, paying yes. for it. My cost. This <laughs> podcast is brought to, brought to you by <laughs> brought. <laughs> brought to you by Rob McMichael. Oh my goodness! If we ever have sponsors, I'm not doing the, the definitely not. Well, you're you're going to be reading an, ex, an excerpt from from a book, and I'm a little worried about that. I'm not going to lie. I'm a good reader. Okay. He gets nervous. <laughs> you read well. I like aced that part of the SATs. That's well, reading. Ninety second percentile. Wow. And comprehension. You know what, though? Not every, only can I read, every person I know what it means. That I know is taking the SATs always says that, like, oh, I'm in the top, like, 90 percentile. And then it makes you wonder, who isn't then? Like, who takes the SAT who isn't in that percentile? You. Rob, were you in the top, like, 95? No. Not in reading. I was very bad in, in math. math. I was very no, I was good. very bad in math. <laughs> I'm terrible in math. I'm so bad. <laughs> Well, it's good to know, Rob, that, that you can't read, but you can add things up well. And Jordan, you can't add anything up well, but you can read. Yeah, that's so, why we do everything together. With our powers combined. Good one. No, a little Captain yeah. Planet reference? No. <laughs> All right. Um, Jordan, you wanted you wanted to bring uh, tonight's Christians in the News story. So I'm going to give you the yeah, microphone sure. that you already have in Just your hand. Just continuing the, uh, the uh, positive Christians in the News stories. Or I think it's positive, at least. <laughs> Tim loves it. Yeah. I, I love it. <laughs> we can go negative next week, Tim. You can bring, you find a doozy. Anyway, uh, so I was came across this article on The Blaze, wonderful little reputable news network. Tim um, loves it. Yeah. That's uh, Glenn Beck's. Uh, yeah, and Matt is Walsh. Is it? Right? Matt Walsh. My boy, Matt Walsh. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Anyway, 
Um, so yeah, this article came out about this guy who's on the board at Liberty University. Um, and we all know about the whole thing with Jerry Falwell, who's the president of Liberty University, Jerry Falwell Jr., I should say, uh, endorsing Trump and how that's been kind of controversial. And so I guess last week or the week before, they posted this article, this guy on the board, his name is Mark DeMoss, uh, came out and said that he was against that nomination. He wasn't for it. Uh, to quote the article, which quotes DeMoss, it says, uh, Donald Trump is the only candidate who has dealt almost exclusively in the politics of personal insult. The bullying tactics of personal insult have no defense, and certainly not for anyone who claims to be a follower of Christ. Oh my gosh. I love this man. Right? <laughs> Continuing. That's what's disturbing to so many people. It's not Christ-like behavior that Liberty has spent 40 years promoting with its students. Can I get an amen? Yeah. Amen. Thank amen. You. Thank you. <laughs> he also goes on to say, I've been concerned for Liberty University for a couple of months now, and I've held my tongue. But no longer <laughs> yeah. do I hold thy tongue. So, yeah. I mean, he didn't, like, step down or anything, but... That's a great article. I yeah. actually, I read that article as well, Jordan, maybe a week or two ago, and it did, uh, it made me happy, and it was refreshing, because... We talked about this before. And we're not obviously we're not getting too deep into this subject as a whole, but when that announcement came out of the president of the world's biggest Christian university supporting a man who most recently has compared the size of his fingers to the size of his penis, it does. Listen, you can laugh all you want. You can't make this stuff up. That, that's what's so great about it. That's why it's, it's funny. It's not even an exaggeration. That's ridiculous. So when things like that happen, you do wonder: Am I the only one who's seeing these things? And having someone in the actual, you know, um, university who is a board member say, yeah. "Nope, you're, you know, this is crazy. This is outlandish, and I can't support such a thing." Acting on principle, I, I can't be any happier about that. Has Jerry has Jerry Falwell responded at all to this? Not that I know of. Okay. All right. Yeah. What do you think, Rob? I haven't read the article. Uh, was that not enough? It was enough. What well, else? I got, you, I got the premise. <laughs> what, what do you think about the situation? You for it? Which one? <laughs> Him denouncing? <laughs> the oh, one we're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. I was zoned out on my coffee. Uh, no, I think, it's, I think that's great because... We went big into politics last week, and we were talking about, explicitly, we were talking about if Bernie Sanders and Donald Trump were the two nominees, who do you pick? Right. And uh, Tim and Russell both said that they really couldn't consciously pick either one of those. That's not true. Russell said he would pick Bernie. No, but he said that when you gave him the choice of one or the other. Oh, right. With no third option. Right. Right. Oh, that's right. See, I do listen to our podcast. Who knew? Sometimes. (laughs) Sometimes. <laughs> so it's good that while Donald Trump is getting the evangelical vote, there are evangelical people that are prominent in the society that are calling well, him out. Well, that is refreshing. I am seeing more and more of that as well. Um, who was it? Um, was it Max Lucado? He had an article uh, yeah. that yeah. came out. Normally he's pretty quiet on yep, politics. He came out around that as well. I'll put it this way. When you have people like Matt Walsh, the guy, uh, the Liberty University board member, and Max Lucado all kind of agreeing on the same thing. Something's happening that that kind of unites people. And I am glad that more and more 
Christians, even ones, even ones on my on my Facebook like newsfeed who are usually very conservative, and I think who initially liked Trump are now saying, okay, the the it was nice to have him kind of shake things up, but as he's going further, he just cannot be our president for so many reasons. Um, so it is, it is, it does seem like it is gra- um, getting more and more uh, ground and, and really traction as as it goes forward, which is which is great. So, so maybe it's a great thing that he's running. It's actually uniting Christians. Uh, well, it's definitely starting to. I mean, there's still work to be done. Right. Like, uh, you know, 44% of Alabama uh, Alabama's evangelicals voted for Trump. And we'll get into the definition of evangelicals later on. But <laughs> yeah. the point is, though, is that people that who would in. label themselves evangelicals, whatever that would mean, voted for Trump, the majority of them. So there's still work to be done. But I think that people are waking up to that. And as I speak about getting traction against Trump and breaking news, Trump wins Michigan. So, <laughs> woo, looks like it's worth <laughs> Looks like we still have we some work quit. to do. <laughs> and Michigan is where Rob's, Rob Bell's from. So if that, oh, that makes sense. If, if that's that makes voting sense. for Michigan, there's still a lot of work. So. Yeah, I, I kind of don't. I see Rob Bell more siding with Bernie Sanders than yeah. Donald oh, Trump. Oh, definitely. <laughs> Rob Bell. Love for all. Money for all. Just kidding. I, Rob, if you're listening, which I'm sure you are, uh, I like you a lot. So no hard feelings. I don't. <laughs> Just right out there. Just so we we uh, have both perspectives here <laughs> on the podcast. If you want to come on the show, you're welcome. We can argue about it. That's been our number one criticism is that we don't argue enough. I know we need to. Yeah. So I like Rob Bell. Jordan, do you like Rob Bell? No, I don't. Rob, like Rob argument. Bell. Oh, I'm so mad at you. He's all spiritualist and no <laughs> substance. I would disagree with that, but we'll. Should we disagree about it now? I, uh, no. I feel like no, we can't, no. right? No. We can't disagree. Okay. I'm sorry, fans, for anyway. waiting for a big bloodbath. Um, I'm excited for this episode, guys, because uh, I was talking to one of my friends who was up from uh, upstate New York. He was in town this weekend, and he listened to our podcast episodes. He liked them a lot. But one thing he said was that he would enjoy some more the, uh, theological discussion, more what is a Christian, that kind of stuff. And I did say, I said, well, my, it's, I said, it's funny you say that. My buddy Rob, who's on the podcast, my other co-host, he is all theology. In fact, that's all he would want to ever talk about. And am, am I wrong in saying that, Rob? Uh, no, definitely right. not. So I'm glad that, that this, that this uh, topic that we're talking about tonight can definitely go a little more into that theological realm. Um, what we're talking about tonight is is what really defines an evangelical and what doesn't. And really kind of the point is where did we get so far from the term evangelical and really Christian get so far away from the actual, or I should say an actual person holding an actual, what we would call biblical worldview. And we're going to be quoting from, from a book in a second, and we'll go into some of those details in just a minute here. But I'm excited about this because this is a humongous issue. And I know we can't get to every every root cause of these things tonight, but I want to do our best to kind of cover some of the big overarching themes because they're important because if we have a group of people claiming to be to be one thing yet living a whole different way in in practice in all practicality and in life, that's a major problem. Yeah. And when it's the Christian faith in particular, one that is really out in the public spotlight, that's under even more scrutiny than even other you know, other people, groups, or, or religious, uh, you know, segments, it's even more important that we're consistent, right? So, yeah. so Jordan, why don't you talk about, about this book that we're going to quote from? Um, yeah, we're going to read a little section from a book called Unchristian. Uh, it was written by two guys, David Kinnaman and Gabe Lyons. Uh, David Kinnaman is currently the president of the Barna Group, 
which is a it's not a Christian group because they do a lot of uh, stuff with um, secular things too and companies, but they're basically a group that does like research and polling and like statistics on things. So they kind of, it's it's like, we were joking about it earlier, like they're not the kind of group you can like disagree with because all they do is like figure out facts and then report them to you. They don't like, <laughs> I mean, sometimes they'll give their opinion. For instance, this book is kind of a lot of opinions based on those things. Um, but yeah, it was a book that Tim and I both read uh, a few years back and um, had a lot of good things about I'm it. I'm pretty sure that, I think Dave Kinnaman himself is a Christian. Yes. Yeah. Um, but I think that you're right. The actual research firm is not particularly just for Christian things. Right. It's a no, very. It's, it's kind of like Christian it's just, run. It's just it's a research not, firm that happens yeah. to be owned by Christians. And they do a lot with churches. Um, yeah. And and stuff. And they're also they're also well respected in the oh yeah the yeah. polling community. So what we're reading you tonight is not a biased view or skewed data. It well as far as you know as far as they can help it. Um. It. This, this company is known for doing research right. all the time. And the book essentially talks about uh, just how the outside world, how the secular world perceives Christians and how they perceive them more negative than positive and that Christians are really known for seven things that we are against. Um, or just se- seven, there's like seven negative perceptions about right. Christians. Like that Christians are too political, that they're sheltered, that they are a- hypocritical, anti-homosexual, or that they're anti, yeah, anti-homosexual. Um, there's a few other ones in there as well. Yeah. But it, it's a really well-written book, which I recommend any Christian to read because it's a very well-written and it's a very easy read, but it's just so informational. Yeah. And it definitely sheds light on like, um, I don't know, like I feel like as Christians, sometimes we feel like we are seen as a certain way, whether that's overly positive from what it really is or overly negative from what it really is. And this really, this book helped me a lot to just kind of have like a real realistic perspective on that like how do people in the secular world view me as a christian absolutely because when you grow up i think in the christian world even though it definitely is a good thing to do you can you know the book talks about how your perception is your reality uh for anyone so perception is reality even if it's not maybe true it's still your reality so when you grew up in a christian bubble and everyone loves you you kind of start perceiving that well everyone must love christians because that's just the culture i came from where everyone loved each other and so this book is really a great wake-up call because it kind of it takes a bigger uh temperature of of the nation as a whole where maybe your your circles wouldn't really uh be really the norm um, nationally speaking. So I enjoyed that about the book a lot because it kind of shakes you a little bit and says, eh, before you assume that, that that Christians are loved this way, here's some data we're finding. And also here's what we're finding as far as millennials go leaving the church. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're they're leaving in, in record numbers and here's the reasons why. So there's a lot of good detail there. But um, yeah. So what are you reading from? Uh, what, what part of the book are you going to read from? Uh, it's the chapter titled Get Saved. Okay, and this talks, I think, a lot about just how Christians um, are evangelical and how, you know, a perception of the culture is that Christians kind of shove the gospel down their throat in a not the perception so like, great is way. Christians are insincere and concerned only with converting others. That's See, that sums it up in so many better words. Yeah, they give a nice little succinct uh, description at the beginning of every chapter, yeah, which is great. Well so. written. All right, so I'll, I'll give you the floor. All right, I'm going to do my best uh, Dan Carlin impression here. <laughs> Quote. Sorry. Dan Carlin's hilarious. Anyway, go ahead. In spite of the fact that many of them are currently disconnected from a church, 
Most Americans, including two-thirds of all adult mosaics and busters, uh, that's a term they use for different age groups. That includes people ages 18 to 41. Um, so two-thirds of all adult mosaics and busters, 65%, tell us that they have made a commitment to Jesus Christ at some point in their life. This is slightly lower than the percent of older adults who have made such a commitment, which is 73%. This is an amazing fact about our culture. The vast majority of Americans, regardless of age, assert that they have already made a significant decision to follow Christ. Of course, this raises the question of the depth of their faith. If that many Americans have made decisions to follow Jesus, our culture and our world would be revolutionized if they simply lived that faith. It is easy to embrace a costless form of Christianity in America today, and we have probably contributed to that by giving people a superficial understanding of the gospel and focusing only on their decision to convert. At Barna, we employ dozens of tools to assess the depth of a person's faith. Let me suggest one for our discussion, a biblical worldview. A person with a biblical worldview experiences, interprets, and responds to reality in light of the Bible's principles. What scripture teaches is the primary grid for making decisions and interacting with the world. For the purposes of our research, we investigate a biblical worldview based on eight elements. A person with a biblical worldview believes that Jesus Christ lived a sinless life, God is the all-powerful and all-knowing creator of the universe, and he still rules it today. Salvation is a gift from God and cannot be earned. Satan is real. A Christian has the responsibility to share his or her faith in Christ with other people. The Bible is accurate in all of the principles it teaches. Unchanging moral truth exists, and such moral truth is defined by the Bible. In our research, we have found that people who embrace these eight components live a substantially different faith from other Americans, indeed from other believers. What we believe influences our choices. Getting back to the issue of spiritual depth, if two-thirds of young adults have made a commitment to Jesus before, how many do you think possess a biblical worldview? Our research shows only 3% of busters and mosaics embrace these eight elements. That is just one out of every 22 young adults who have made a commitment to Christ. Although older adults are more likely to have such a perspective, it is also a small slice, only 9% who do. This means that out of 95 million Americans who are ages 18 to 41, about 60 million say they have already made a commitment to Jesus that is still important. However, only about 3 million of them have a biblical worldview. End quote. Let that sink in for a minute. That's pretty mind-blowing. Don't wait a whole minute. That's oh, a lot of dead oh, space. Oh, I'm sorry. I was counting. Um, <laughs> I, was count I was counting. That's shocking, honestly. And I, I remember, Jordan, when you and I first read this book, because we were going, we were teaching a class on it um, at our small group, and we were going mm -hmm. through it together. And the more we read, it was just one thing after another that was, whoa, mind-blowing. Had no idea. But that one to us stuck out the most, I think, and that's something that I still use today when I'm talking about this subject because the the disparity between those who say, oh, yeah, I made a commitment to Jesus versus those who actually live it out yeah. is humongous. I mean, 3% to 65%, 
what odds? What in in what realm would that be a, a good enough you know a good enough difference? Oh yeah, it's still in scope. There's there's nowhere anywhere yeah. that's acceptable. And the biblical worldview that the way they define it with those eight principles is not like getting down to like behavioral stuff or anything right. like that. Right. Those are just eight really broad interdenominational like across the board kind of understood truths. From the Bible, there it, 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 that's exactly right. You can probably throw a lot of Catholics who would agree with that. You could probably yeah. even throw some 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 people we wouldn't even really say were inside the faith that would probably agree with that. I think a lot of Mormons would agree with with with, with points of that and so on and so forth. So sure. that's a very wide net. You're probably going to catch uh, catch some fish that that aren't even supposed to be caught with that kind of with with those eight truths, you know. But yet, even though they're that wide, even though the net is is that is that big. The number is huge. It's a humongous statistic. So the question we have to answer tonight, and we only have an hour to do it, is why, which isn't really too bad, right? We can figure this out in oh, you know, 45, 50 minutes. Rob, I know you had some thoughts already, and because I know that in our show prep, <laughs> show prep, <laughs> our, five sorry, minutes, yeah. our five minutes previous just <laughs> yeah, talking about of, uh, Desperately wanted... searching, trying to find this part of the <laughs> well, book. Wait, while Tim tries to figure out how to record. Yeah. <laughs> I want show to sound, prep. Let's just call I, it show prep. I want to sound official. So, so in Good our job. show prep earlier, uh, Rob, I know that you were talking about um, just why you thought that, or you thought about a couple of things that kind of felt, um, contributed to this. So, in your head, I'll let you have the floor, and so you can kind of explain why you think this is so. Um, so, I've been reading a book by Francis Chan uh, called Multiply, and. Francis Chan is one of my favorite people on the planet. <laughs> but uh, I, I'm reading his book, Multiply, and the book is really about discipleship and how we are to be disciples of Christ and how the call of the gospel is going into all the world and preach the gospel, making disciples of all nations. And he goes into depth about what it means to be a disciple maker and what it means to win people and disciple them to Christ. And I think with that on my mind already, and then getting into some of these statistics that we were talking about, it, it was very clear to me that one of the reasons that we have such a disparity between people that say, yes, I've made a decision or a commitment in my life to Christ, and then the staggering fewer people that are living a biblical worldview, I think it comes down to discipleship. And there's a really good book, I think it's William MacDonald, he wrote True Discipleship, excellent book on being a disciple of Christ. And then Francis Chan writing the other side of discipling others. I think both of those things are lacking heavily in the American local churches, that for uh, whatever reason, people have now come to church with the mindset of the people that are paid on staff are the ones that are ministering. The people that are paid on staff are the ones that are discipling. I just come, I get a message, and I go home, and I'm good for the week. There's no real commitment for believers to disciple. There's no real commitment for people to live out their faith, to uh, have that kingdom mindset that we talk about a lot on this podcast of the entire world is 
what is God's view of his kingdom. He wants the gospel to go forth into every part. And we sometimes get a very small-minded view of that and a very introverted view of that, that the gospel is just for me and it's good and I'm just going to keep living my life. No, your life should be lived for the blessing of those around you. And that's really what discipleship is about, is living in such a way that you're bringing other people to Christ and other people closer to Christ. And I think those things are what's maybe an ingredient as to why this such vast difference of the statistics exists. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think um, they kind of uh, mentioned something about that in the book, the part that we just read where it says... Um, It is easy to embrace a costless form of Christianity in America today. We have probably contributed to that by giving people a superficial understanding of the gospel and focusing only on their decision to convert. And that's such, I mean, I know all of us have experienced that and maybe even been, uh, you know, have been guilty of of doing that too, just kind of, um, you know, in sharing our faith, which is great, you know, and and we're, we're called to do that just kind of being really shallow about it and, you know, just kind of looking for that, that's either praying that prayer or, you know, saying that those right words, you know, making the decision, converting, and then ignoring the whole discipleship side of it. Uh, Yeah, absolutely. At the same time, I'm not surprised because what you reap is what you sow, right? When you, um, is that backwards? What you sow is what you reap. No, what you, no, reap, what you sow. What you reap is what you sow. That's right. Okay, sorry. I had a brain fart <laughs> you got for a it. minute. <laughs> I need more coffee, so hold on. Uh, okay, so think about, really, I would say in the 70s, 80s, the 90s, think about what we were sowing. Think about the the church culture that we were sowing. TBN explodes. Mega churches start exploding with new technology we start using you know tv and ways to get the gospel out by the way i will say probably well-intentioned at the time i i don't doubt that 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 the majority of pastors and people who who really pushed using the tv as a way to get the gospel out were were somehow ill-intentioned but it it exactly that's exactly what it turned into in just a, a few short years because when you look at at our culture's view of the church. Heck, if you look at, at even the Christian's view of the church, it's so skewed from what, in my opinion, it was the original intention of the church and what the Bible talks about. And so we, for so many years, sowed flashy lights and big Sunday morning productions. And we started kind of, we've almost turned the sermon into um, like an inspirational just message of just, good things and it's not that the gospel doesn't offer those things it absolutely does but when the but but when the feel good becomes the center when that becomes the gospel and not what Christ has done on the cross then you start getting yourself all mixed up in the humongous tizzy. And I think about it even now today, the new generation of that. I think about the pastors that we see, like the celebrity pastor mentality, which again, I don't think was 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 ill-intentioned, but has turned into a monster that is so hard to stop. Um, and that, I think, has played a humongous role in this because when you show people that a Sunday morning service is like a rock show and you, show, and you, and you make Sunday morning the focus of getting the unbeliever saved, you miss the whole part, 
point of the church gathering. There is nowhere in Scripture you're going to find that Paul instructs the church to make the, the, the church gathering for the unbeliever. That was never the point. The church gathering was for the believer to commune with Christ in his body in a communal sense. But we flipped that on its head. We made Sunday morning this uh, mentality of, oh, bring in the unsaved to these four walls and we'll introduce them to the gospel. I don't think that was ever the heart of, of what we read in, in the New Testament. I really believe it was word of mouth. It was, hey, you've got to, you know, this Jesus guy I've been following, he's changed my life forever. And then when that person comes to know Christ personally, then he's brought into that church. Then he's brought into those meetings. So I really agree with what you said, Rob. Um, regarding kind of the church and how we in what we, what we made of it because we've been sowing this for years this is what we've sowed we've sowed this um this spectator sport of a sunday morning service and now we're reaping it christians who think that they're saved because they walk down an aisle um in a real emotional time and they signed a card saying jesus i believe jesus i believe in you not knowing what they're really signing up for that's what the Crusades were in a lot of ways, the Billy Graham Crusades. And I love Billy Graham. I'm not coming in. I, I, and I know that he loves the Lord. And I, again, I'm, I'm not judging his heart. But what I'm saying is that the way that a lot of those guys went about those things have produced, yeah, they produced some, some actual followers of Christ who I'm sure their lives were changed. But for every one that, 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 that they introduced to Jesus authentically, there's probably, probably another 30 who think that they're saved today, that, that they're a Christian because they signed a card in some emotional um, you know, time. So it's, it's very discouraging to me, but at the same time, I can't say that I'm surprised. Yeah. I just had a thought. I think there's kind of two sides to this because I loved the quote. I was listening to the podcast from last week and Rob said something in the podcast last week that I loved. And I was like, that's probably the best quote from our podcast so far. And <laughs> it was, you said something about, um, Christians like, automatically jumping to discipleship and discipling people who have never actually come to know Christ right. and never started that relationship with him. Um, and today we're, we're talking about kind of the, the other side of that people that, you know, maybe made that decision, made a decision, and then we're just kind of left hanging and never discipled. So I think that both of those things happen, and I think both are really dangerous when we're jumping the gun when it comes to discipleship and trying to um, have someone grow spiritually that never even began a relationship with Christ. And then on the other side, where we're calling people and having it all about the conversion and all about making a decision um, and walking down the altar and then never discipling them after that. And, that. and I think both of those things are really important that we do, that we are calling people to Christ um, and calling people to make a decision or, and calling people to begin that relationship with him and then following it up with good discipleship um, because the outcome of leaving out one of those things is either we get this huge disparity in the people that are um, claiming to be Christians and what they believe is all crazy and not at all in line with the Bible because no one has ever taught them or just because they don't understand the importance of it. And then on the other side, you're getting people, you know, that Jesus addresses in Matthew 7. And when he says, when they say, you know, come to him after they die and say, look at all these things we've done for you. And he says, depart from me, I never knew you. Right. You know, because you never, they never began that relationship with him. 
and they, yeah, sure, they did a lot of things, and they went through the discipleship programs, and they, uh, you know, served in the ministries and were part of the youth group and, and part of, and pastors, and pastored churches, and still never had a relationship with Jesus. And that's kind of, I feel like, where a lot of the church is today. In another part of the book, in the, the hypocritical chapter, they talks about um, the the like lifestyle differences between what they they consider born again Christians and non born again Christians, and the born again Christians were definitely people that would uh, be considered to have those eight principles, you know, of, of having a biblical worldview, and then just seeing there's no difference. It was they're, the, they're like the biggest differences are like you know twenty seven to thirty six percent and born-again Christians recycle less, you know, or they use less profanity. And other than that, it's like the behavioral differences, though. You know, we're talking about this crazy difference between the people that have a biblical worldview and then don't. But then you take a step beyond that and say, even when you have a biblical worldview, even when you've been discipled, if you don't have that relationship with Jesus where the Holy Spirit is helping you to uh, live a lifestyle that's like Jesus, then your lifestyle is not going to look any different. You might know a lot more, but your lifestyle is not going to look any different. Yeah, I, I want to make, I want to draw um, like a contrast. Um, I, we're not talking about being a morally better person. That's not what it's about, right? We understand that. But what we're talking about is that when you're living life with the Holy Spirit, there are things that you become convicted of that you no longer know that you should be doing. Now, there are things that are going to be struggles. Everyone struggles with something, again, it's not about being a perfect person. That's not what we're talking about. But there should be a different way of thinking as a Christian. I know a lot of Christians, not a lot, but I've met Christians in my, in my, you know, in my years that will be on Sunday morning, will have no problem being, you know, claiming Christian or claiming to be, to be a follower of Jesus who will post the occasional Bible verse on their Facebook feed. Then I hear that the other night they went out and they got drunk at a bar. And I think to myself, okay, maybe they struggle with that. But then I hear them talk about it and they say, oh, yeah, I I had one too many. You know what I mean? And I'm thinking, no, I don't. Not because it's about me being a better person, but because Christ calls us not to do those things. So how for you is that an okay thing that you would want to brag about? And that's just one example. You know, and I'm not thinking of, thinking of anyone in particular, but I've heard of people like that in my, in my past who have that mentality. And I think, but what's separating you from being a follower of Christ compared to what the normal 20-year-old would do on a Friday night. What's that difference, especially you being okay with it? That's that's what what is discouraging at times is that the mentality seems to be almost like, oh yeah, you know, I had one too many or yeah, I was at a bachelor party and man, I don't remember I don't even remember last night. And I'm thinking you were the only Christian there. That was that was your time to kind of set yourself apart in a healthy way. Not that you can't go to the bachelor party, not that you can't go into a bar, but that you know that Christ has called you to a certain lifestyle and that you want to be obedient in that. So there is a difference there for sure. But Jordan, I hear what you're saying 100% because you do look around, you look at, at, at what movies make number one consistently, and you do wonder if we're if the majority of these people are Christians who are seeing it, what kind of filter do, do they have? You know, I would think that that 
that that that, that, that there would be certain things that 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 culturally wouldn't be as popular if all those Christians were talking about did kind of have that biblical worldview. And again, not in a way of a holier-than-thou attitude. That's not what we're talking about here. We're just talking about knowing that, okay, the Bible tells us how to live a certain way with certain issues that are pretty black and white. Not everything's black and white, but these are. And we want to be obedient to those things. So, yeah, it definitely does kind of boggle my mind sometimes. But at the same time, on the other side of the coin, I'm not 100% shocked because I look at the church. And to me, the church is the root of so many of these things because they're the one, the, the, the church is the only thing that really Jesus himself really established here on earth was, was the church. And so that's our main um, vehicle to communicate the gospel to the outside world. But when our church is so compromised as far as how we perceive it, how we, how we even call, you know, oh, I'm going to church. That's not biblically an accurate statement. Church is never once in scripture mentioned as a place you go to. It's consistently measured, um, mentioned as a body of believers who are together. You don't go to where you already are. It's impossible. The church in this podcast is meeting right now, but we don't think about it in that context because we, it's so ingrained in our culture that church is a building, that church is a place you go to. And here's the thing, a lot of Christians will say, well, I know it's not a church, but then they'll, they'll, they'll call it, hey, welcome to church on a Sunday morning. Well, you might, you might tell yourself that you don't believe that, but you affirm that thought in your statements. So it, to me, it's kind of like a double-sided uh, view here of, well, yeah, I know church is in the building, yet welcome to God's house, welcome to church. Those are not biblical, biblically sound things to say because they're nowhere in scripture as far as using it in that context. So again, I just think that we're just we're, we're reaping what what we sowed throughout the years. And I think specifically that that line of thinking um, has caused a lot of what we're talking about. That you go to church, so you go somewhere where God is, and when you leave that place, now you're free to do whatever you want because you're not in church anymore. Mm. Where if we had the mentality that we are the church, we are the ones that Christ died for, then it wouldn't just be when we're in that building worshiping together with other believers that we are living like that. It will be when we leave that and we're still thinking, oh, I'm at my workplace, but I am still the church. And so I should live like I am. And when we take that along with us, that's when that mindset is really changing us and changing our attitude and changing our lifestyle is when we realize those things and we're putting that into practice. That's when that biblical worldview starts to change. I couldn't agree with you anymore. I absolutely couldn't. And it's something I'm so passionate about because when we have these issues happening, when we're perceived as hypocritical, when we're, when we're perceived as, as anti-homosexual, when, when we're perceived as too judgmental, I mean, look at what, what as, look at, at what's been fed to us for so long, again, unintentionally, but I grew up in the church my whole life. I've heard the sermons. I know, you know, I get that mentality of, oh, well, you know, watch out for the world. You know, when I was a kid, the big thing was don't send your kids to a secular college. Well, if your kid really knows the Bible and is a committed follower of Christ, it doesn't matter where you're going to send them. It doesn't matter because I've met plenty of people who left the church or um, who were in a church as youth group kids, went to secular college and were just fine and are still believers today. I know plenty of kids who left the youth group, went to a Christian college, are no longer walking with the Lord, <laughs> right? So it doesn't come down to where you send them. It comes down to how you equip them. 
And when you equip them in a way that is full of fluff and in and the answer to questions like, you know, why don't why shouldn't we have sex before we're married? Well, because God says so, that answer does not hold up to the world. They'll go, Well, why? Why does God say so? And then at that point, you're, the kid's kind of dumbfounded. Uh, I don't know. I never got that far. There's no intelligent way to respond to that because they've never been taught. They just, they've just been told, well, don't do this. Don't do this. Say this prayer. Come to church. Be a good kid. Good luck in the world. So when we're not equipping people to even live in, in a culture and to engage that culture without compromise, we have this huge hodgepodge of just – well, I guess this is right. I'm 18 on my own for the first time. Why can't I do this? Well, they've they never been told why not to. Hmm. Drop the mic. <laughs> Boom. Walk away. No, just kidding. But I don't know. You know, I, I don't want to get too off topic with, with that in particular. But I don't know, Jordan. Do you, do you think that a lot of this stems from just the culture of the church that we've made it in, in the States? Or are there other things that you've seen that you think kind of contribute to this as well? Yeah, I mean, I think that's a big part of it, for sure. Kind of um, the church culture, what we teach, the lack of discipleship, like Rob was saying. Um, you know, the way we've we've maybe misled people into um, believing something wrong about what it really means to follow Christ. Um, yeah, I think that another aspect of it maybe is just that it's easier not to. It's easier to live your life without a biblical worldview, <laughs> you know, because, yeah, well, like like you were saying, Tim, it's not a list of rules and, and this, like, moral thing all the time. It's, it's about living the way that Jesus did and being more like Jesus. Um, but it is... You know, it is something that affects our the way we interact with our world. It affects the way that we see the world, um, the, having this biblical worldview. And there are things that the Bible says that are hard. There's things that the Bible says that if we applied that to the reality of our life, we it would it would be uncomfortable for us to do that. I love the definition that it gave in, in the in that in that. Uh, um, excerpt I read earlier, it says that uh, a person with a biblical worldview experiences, interprets, and responds to reality in light of the Bible's principles. What scripture teaches is the primary grid for making decisions and interacting with the world. And we don't want to do that. I don't want to do that. <laughs> you know, like even like we talked about, you know, whether you really have a relationship with Christ, whether really you really have the Holy Spirit in you, and even with that, it's, it's something that's hard for me to do, to respond um, to reality, you know, the reality of my life in an everyday sense um, in light of Scripture. Um, yeah, be- well, that and the Holy Spirit. There are certain things that, that for me, I know that, that are not okay, that for the other believers are totally fine. You know, for me, alcohol sure. is just something that I'm not... I just don't uh, feel the the green light from the Holy Spirit to say, you know what, Tim, that's okay. So I just choose not to drink. I don't think for a second, of course, that any Christian who does have a drink is somehow in sin, not at all. But for me, I know that if I was to, to do that, it would be sin because of what God has kind of instructed me how, on how to live, right? Same thing goes, I know, Jordan, we were talking about the movie Deadpool the other day. Yeah. Deadpool is a movie that I really want to see, but I know the content inside of it, it's not for my eyes to see. Walking into a marriage in a few months, preparing for that, I don't need any more 
sexual temptation or images in my head than, than I've already had to deal with just by being a man. So I know the Holy Spirit was telling me, hey, this movie is not for you, but I really want to see it because it's <laughs> a Marvel movie and it's Deadpool. And I, I love naturally, I love the vulgar humor. That's what I, I love that. I think it's hilarious. But again, I know the Lord was saying, Tim, not for you to watch. Now, does that mean that for every Christian it's the same thing? Not necessarily, you know. I'm not going to say that a Christian who sees Deadpool is somehow this terrible person. How could you be a Christian for seeing it? It's not up to me. It's between them and God. It's a gray area. I get that. But that's what it comes down to for me is being obedient to the Holy Spirit because, hey, picture it, right? If he really ordained and authored our life, surely he knows the best way to live it. So surely I want to follow him because he's teaching me the best way to live this life here and now better than, than anyone else could ever tell me because he's the author and giver of all life. Um, so I, I definitely understand that. It's just tough sometimes for sure. And people don't always understand it. I had a friend at work who said, are you going to see Deadpool? I said, nah. I said, me and my fiance, we don't watch rated R movies. Um, and his jaw dropped. Like, what do you mean you don't watch rated R movies? And I'm thinking, great. I should, I had to say something, right? I said, it's just something that her and I have talked about that usually those movies are pretty explicit for different reasons. And we generally just stay away from them unless we have kind of both approved that, yeah, this is a movie that, that we're okay watching for whatever reason, you know? But things like that are a little awkward sometimes because I don't want to come across as, oh, I'm a holier person. I don't watch such such garbage, you know? <laughs> At the same time, I don't want to compromise how the Lord's called me to live. So, But that, at the same time as well, that conversation leads to more conversations because he really was dumbfounded. He couldn't believe it. And I can tell he his mind was, was thinking, like, why do you do that? Who does that? Who would... I never heard anyone tell me I don't watch rated R movies, and for that reason especially. So it does it does kind of offer up new ways to to kind of be perceived, and it really, in my opinion, a different way of evangelism. You know, we were told so long that evangelism is handing out tracts and wearing the 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 big bright you know pro life T shirt, and I have one of those. You know, abortion is murder on the back, and I understand why, but. Those things are sometimes are so loud that you just turn people off so quick, as opposed to these little comments that you, that you kind of throw out there that you know are going to stick to someone, and someone's mm. going to ask you more about it for later on. And I found that's really a, a different, but also, again, a, kind of a more biblical way of evangelism because the, God, the Bible even talks about in Peter giving um, a case for the gospel respectfully and being open, you know, to hearing from other people and being able to give an account for what you believe in, but in in, in a well-intentioned way. And I found that when you're able to articulate what you believe so much better, that goes back to equipping, when you're equipped better, you're able to have these conversations that are dialogue and people respect you more for them. I've been, I'm so open about my faith at work that my my store leader knows about it. I brought it up in my interview. You know, they everyone knows what I'm about. But and I have the respect of them because they know that I live it out as best as I can, of course, in my day-to-day life. So I found that, like you're saying, Jordan, when you are consistent in, hey, I'm a Christian, but you know what? I'm a normal dude. I have the same questions. I wrestle with things of my own faith. When you're honest about that stuff, I think people really respect you more for it. I think what you what you were getting at there was kind of the the two types of evangelism. There's obviously the get up onto a pulpit and preach a solid gospel message. We read many of those given by uh, Peter and Acts and Paul. But then there's the other side of evangelism, which is more the relational evangelism, where you're getting to know someone. You look at 
even the Lord when he was had that had that um, conversation with the woman at the well in John chapter four. He he had a real conversation with her and engaged her life and asked her questions and prodded her and and through all of that he reached out and offered her uh, everlasting life and she accepted because she knew this wasn't just someone who was getting up on a pulpit and preaching and saying you need to do this and you need to be saved and you need this and that and the the next but this was somebody who intimately was interested in her and I think that's what you were getting at was she saw something different in this man and wanted to know more and that's something that should mark every Christian is they should see something different in our lives and want to know more they shouldn't we don't always have to like you were saying wear those billboard shirts and that say I'm a Christian they should instinctively notice something different not that uh, we have to as you said have that attitude of well I live a better life than you do because I'm a Christian but it will make them question well why do you not curse I mean everybody curses why don't you why don't you drink and and it gives it gives way to more conversations in the future when you have the standpoint of I'm a Christian, but then you have the life to back it up that is pointing always back to, well, I do it because I'm a Christian, and this is what that means, and this is why my my faith has lived out in my life. So it comes back to those two types of evangelism. There's obviously that public evangelism, but then there's that more relational evangelism. Uh, at Yeah, absolutely, Rob. At, at work uh, probably a few weeks ago, I think I said something in passing. I think I, I said a curse word. I said some. I said some word, and it wasn't a normal word that I used. But I, when I said it, like three people were like, "Did you just say what I think you said?" And I'm like, "Yeah, I'm sorry. I'm just a little frustrated right now." And they're like, "I've never heard you curse before." I'm like, "Yeah, not really a habit I like to have." But but they noticed. Like I, it wasn't even like, yeah, a, like a, it wasn't even like, like like a crazy bad word. It was just a word, and they. Whoa! Did you just say that's not like you? You know. So again, it's not a matter. I mean, I just want to be so clear here. It's not a matter of a moral gospel. We're not talking about that. Mm-hmm. We're talking about a fruit, uh, a fruit gospel. Yeah. The fruit of these things, a fruit of a relationship with Jesus, is that you want to follow Him. It's not a matter of you doing it perfect. It's not a matter of you having everything together. But it's that you're able to be open and honest with people who don't know Christ and say, "Yup, like I don't have it all together." At the same time i'm always striving to be a better person because that's who christ calls me to be when you have that balance of being able to be open and honest dude i've told i've told friends of mine who aren't saved that i wrestle with the doctrine of hell and i don't know how it works and it kind of freaks me out but you know i just trust certain things when you have that kind of dialogue with someone they are pretty pretty shocked that a christian would say that they wrestle with their own beliefs uh, or own tenets of their own faith and that they don't have it all figured out either but they still cling to it as truth it opens up whole different dialogues you know but we're way we're way off topic and <laughs> if you can believe it it's already 50 minutes in, which I really can't believe. This one has flown by. I want to get back to the main subject. And for everyone out there listening, thanks, guys, for hanging in with us. I know we're kind of all over the place, but these topics are so huge, and they're all so connected in my mind that everything kind of leads to something else. Let's get back to that main topic of of wh- why this disparity of, hey, I'm a Christian. Hey, no 
abs- no worldview, you know, I'm a Christian in, in title only. Why has this happened? How and how, what do we do to kind of start addressing it? I do think, Rob, that you hit the nail on the head with discipleship. Because Christ in the Bible calls us to go into the world, preach the gospel, and make converts? Nope. Make disciples. And we have made a lot of converts. We've got a lot of people in the past however many years, especially in this culture, to sign a card, pledge their allegiance to Jesus for one night, and then have a good life. See you later. Good luck. Hopefully someone picks you up later on at a church, or hopefully you find a church kind of mentality. And we're finding out more and more that idea backfired so bad that a lot of people said that we're living in a post-Christian culture. I mean, it was, you know, Christianity was a very dominant part of the of the American landscape, but it's backfired big time because I think a lot of people kind of got inflated with, with false hope in a sense and only to find out that A, they weren't told the fine print of, of how radical the gospel really is and how much it demands your whole life. And then B, also, no one was followed up or not many people were followed up with as far as the next steps. So discipleship to me is definitely, in my in my opinion, the crux of this issue. Yeah. Um, I think an important thing, um, just to answer your question about like how do we address this issue, um, I think it's important that, like you're saying, that we're honest and upfront with people. Like, this is what you're signing up for. Like, it does require your life. And it's not just, you know, some cultural, like, acceptance thing. And it's, I, I, don't, I don't know, I'm kind of almost glad that it's becoming less cultural to be a Christian. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I, I kind of like that because it helps to separate what it means to be a Christian, you know, for me, what I really believe it means to be a Christian from what our culture says it means to be a Christian. And I think that difference, you know, at the root of it is this biblical worldview that we're talking about. Um, so yeah, I think that's important. Like just being honest with people, (laughs) like, you know, this is what it is. Um, yeah. Yeah. When I think of discipleship, you can't help but go back to the Lord and when he selected his disciples. So obviously there was that salvation moment for each of them. He said, follow me. And they had to make that decision. Am I going to leave my business of fishing and making a living? And some of them even left their families to follow this guy who claims to be the Messiah. Is he who he says he is? And they obviously all made that decision to leave and to follow. But the discipleship that they got from the Lord was not something that is very mimicked in churches today. That he spent every day, every minute with these 12 people. And it wasn't, hey guys, um, if you want to, uh, I'm going to have a a meeting on Wednesday morning. Uh, It's a discipleship group. You guys can come if you want. (laughs) There might be some donuts and bagels and if not, I'll see you next Wednesday. Free food, I'm in. <laughs> it was uh, an everyday living. He knew them intimately. He knew everything about their lives. He knew, I mean, obviously he was the Lord, so he knew their thoughts and everything like that. But he got to know them on such a level that is not seen in discipleship today. And I think that's something that is really lacking, that is desperately needed, that we're, we aren't living... Tim, you said earlier 
that the church today doesn't look like what we read about in the scriptures back then. And I couldn't agree more that there was such a unity in the local church when you read about all of them. Obviously, Corinth had their problems, Ephesus had issues, but there was such a unity when you read the book of Acts, like all of these believers coming together, and they were so unified, and they knew everything about each other, and they were there to help, and they were there to disciple and encourage, that the reason that Christianity spread like wildfire in that society was because there was such discipleship going on, and leadership, and people had a a mentality of, this gospel can't just stay with us. It's got to go elsewhere. Let me ask you a question, Rob. I, I, I agree with what you're saying, but in our American culture, which is set up so different than, than the culture that Christ lived in with his disciples, what does that discipleship look like here? Because you know this, but we have a very Everything here is is compartmentalized. This is your family time. This is your work time. This is your spiritual Jesus time. Make sure you get your your devotions in in the morning to be a good Christian. It's not it's not as fluid as maybe um, an Eastern thought process would be, where it's all kind of interwoven together. This is much more kind of like kind of like an ice cube tray, right? It's all kind right. of compartmentalized out. How do you break that barrier in discipleship? Because I can't when, when you and I meet up for for times to be discipled, it is kind of like that Wednesday morning. Hey, if you can meet up that'd be great because that's I can't figure out a way around that to still be able to pay just for rent you know like a job has to be in there a family time has to be in there so how do you how do you get around that would you say it's it's discipling in such a way yeah it can be that the discipleship the discipleship class is at a particular time and date but then it's following up it's teaching principles that don't just apply to a particular set of time, but teaching principles. This is how you live when you're at work. This is how you live when you're with friends. This is how you live when you're at home with your family. It's teaching principles that go through all of life and stretch through those compartments because they belong in every compartment. I think we, like you, like you hit the nail on the head with that, we have so compartmentalized our lives that we say, okay, I need to fit my church family in around myself, and here's my work time, and here's my family time. Instead, it should be, this is God's realm, and everything else is fitting inside of it. Yeah, I, I, I totally agree with that. Um, I also think about, and I'm kind of known for this in our circles, Jordan and Rob, that I'm, I'm always the guy pushing for guys just be together a lot of times when you just get coffee together when you get dinner together when you come over to watch a movie together a lot of times those conversations can't help but happen right. i know jordan like yesterday he came over to hang out mm-hmm. yeah we, we might have watched you know uh what movie do we do? oh uh, battle of the five armies the hobbit movie but the first hour and a half two hours was just talking about life and what's going on and where the lord's calling us it wasn't uh, hey, jordan want to come over and get discipled it was just an overflow of just what happens when we're together a lot of this, in my head, for me, on a personal level, yeah, the Sunday morning thing is great. Um, the Wednesday morning class is fine. And I guess I grew up in that, so I'm a little jaded to it because I, I, I know all of its faults, and I kind of overlook its strength sometimes. But I found that for, that for me and for Sarah, we just feel so full when we get dinner 
with another couple, when we have time with someone and just have this amazing talk about the kingdom, when we have time to dream, that's when we find ourselves just, we, we come out of that dinner or that, that time and we go, that was just so necessary. It was so filling because we were with like-minded people just dreaming about the kingdom culture and how that's affected us and being able to just be open and honest about it. So for me, that that's huge is, is I think I'm discovering the older I get, the busier life definitely gets. So I have to make community an intentional part of my life, which means right. that I have to sacrifice other things. I think Jordan, especially, you understand this. When you and I were younger, when we were 18, 21, 22, you know, our, our friend circle was so tight. Part of that was because we had part-time jobs. We weren't <laughs> married. We had no rent. Or no jobs. <laughs> yeah, or no jobs, you know. Um, but we had all this time, and we had no obligations. We None of us were even dating at the time, and a lot of us weren't even in college. So we just had time to be together. And it just, it just happened because it was so easy. But as we started getting married, as we started getting jobs, careers, going going back to school full time, I noticed that we saw each other more and more infrequent. And it hit me one day. I said, wow, I'm at the stage in life now where I have to say, no, I'm not going to do this. I'm going to make time for community with some people consistently. It's now, now it's a sacrifice, but it's a necessary and a worthy sacrifice because nothing keeps me more fueled. Um, besides my time with Jesus, but also time with his church in the everyday moments that I can never, I can, I'm never going to podcast about. I'm never going to post on Facebook about there are these moments that only I have with those people that God was there with that, that kept me going. So I, I think for me, that's so necessary. I need that community and I don't get that from a Sunday morning because the Sunday morning format doesn't allow for much of that to happen. The handshake time is what? Maybe five minutes stops. How can you really get into uh, a conversation that you need to get into? And maybe that's at the point of Sunday morning. Maybe the point of Sunday morning is to worship communally to Christ. But what are you doing outside of that? That's my question. Yeah. I think what you said about sacrifice is really important because it is it's sacrificing the what we want to do, what we would rather do. Um, and I was, I was just thinking, too, while you guys were talking that I think a big part of it is kind of stepping away from our, you know, maybe it's not American specifically, but just like this Western culture that says that everything has to be compartmentalized and everything has to be separate. And you have to have time for this and time for this and time for this. And um, that's going to be sacrificial and I feel like when you are living in that mentality, that it becomes often really self-serving. Um, and you're, you're, you know, you are, you're separating um, the time that you could be spending in community from, oh, I need alone time. I need me time, you know, or I need, you know, time for a job. Like, like you were just sharing earlier, like the way that you interact with people at your job. Like that's a perfect example of how, you know, your uh, relationship with Christ and even discipleship, you could say, just on a different level, (laughs) you know, runs through all of those things that you do. You know, if you want to stay with the example of the ice cube tray, it's like, you know, when you fill an ice cube tray really high to the top and all the ice cube trays are connected. (laughs) Well, that's what you need to do. (laughs) That's how it should be. Oh, I get it. (laughs) You get it now. No, but I think like when, when we really take, uh, you know, what the Bible says and have it influence the reality of our lives, I think we become 
you know, we're not bound by these things that are like these American way of doing things. Like we, we were joking earlier and earlier today about, you know, the book being called American or unchristian. It's the same thing. <laughs> um, but just like, and, and you said, I think you commented something on another podcast about something about being a patriot and a Christian are not right. just two different things, or you can't be both or something like that. And, and it's kind of, it's funny to joke about, but it's kind of true that like, you know, we're foreigners here, you know, yep. the Bible talks about that. Like we're not here to be Americans, you know, we're not here to be patriots. Um, and you know, that's what I think really the heart of a, the having a biblical worldview is about is, you know, your allegiance is to Christ and your allegiance is to his kingdom, not to the United States of America, not to, our American culture or the way that our culture says things need to be done. And when it comes to discipleship, it's going to take, I think, throwing out a lot of those ideas that have been drilled into us by our culture and saying, you know, you know what, I am going to sacrifice to make this discipleship happen. You know, this discipleship thing, this community thing, um, a reality, um, in my life. And, the people around me. Well, think about it. What are the two most important commandments that Christ talks about? Love God and love others. Boom. I mean, that's it. It's not even go to church every Sunday. It's not It's not get involved in your political party and make sure you vote for the right person. It's not make sure you do the right things. You know, it's not, it's not even make sure you read the scriptures. Not on there. Not that those things aren't important, of course. But the two most important ones, when you sum it all up, when you take all this stuff and you put it into two commands, it is love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. That's it. That's what is the most important thing. And the reason I think that is because it's the two eternal things, people and God. They're the two things that are going to live forever. Ever. They're the two things that God's going to ask you about when you meet him face to face. How did you love me? How did you love others? So if we're not doing that, if we're not making the time for people and it's our jobs who are in the way or or it's our hobbies that are in the way. Listen, I love music. I mean, it is, it's a passion. I It's tattooed on my arm for crying out loud. I'm in love with it. But it can never come in between my relationship with people. Because even though music, I'm sure, will be in heaven, it's not what matters. You know, people are what matter. The gospel is what matters. Christ is what matters. So I, I agree with you completely, Jordan. You have to unlearn so many things. And unfortunately, if you grew up in the church, you have to unlearn a lot of those, some of those unhealthy church mindsets as well that, oh, welcome to church. Oh, make sure you go to church. Make sure you invite your friends out to church. Those aren't necessarily well, I'm gonna, no, they are. I think that, that they are bad ideas, honestly. I mean, maybe they're not wrong ideas or sinful, I should say, but a lot of them are misguided for sure. A lot of them I don't think are correct, and a lot of them I believe are ineffective. People are leaving the church body. People are not walking up off the streets and going to a Sunday morning service. That's not how it works, especially in this day and age, especially in 2016. People want to know that Christians actually care about them. Not that Christians just want to convert them. People want to know that the love of God is so authentic that it cares about them as a human and that it cares about their needs and their immediate needs and it cares about their physical needs and it cares about their emotional needs. People want to know that you, that you really care. And when they don't believe that you care, they don't want you speaking into their life. 
Right. It's just that simple. Yeah, maybe in the 70s and 80s, people were coming by the thousands, you know, to, just to hear a speaker preach or to, to get converted or to get saved. But people now, they want to know that you really are invested. And I think that ties into our culture is such a sales-focused kind of uh, smoke machine and mirrors kind of culture where – Everyone thinks everyone, you know, you, you, you watch any ad on TV, it's all about you, right? The company wants to take care of you, but we all know it's not true. They just want to make a buck. So when that's the mentality, right, that we're ingrained with is that nothing is as it seems, the same thing goes for the Christian. Oh, you're a Christian and you're hanging out with me? There's got to be an ulterior motive. When do you want to get me saved? When's the pitch, <laughs> right? So you have to kind of break down those walls and say, listen, man, if you never accept the gospel, that's on you, but I'm still going to love you. And I'm still gonna, I'm still gonna be your friend, and I'm, you know, that's how you have real friendships. So, uh, yeah, I, I definitely agree with you guys for sure. The authenticity is so important in this day and age, beyond the rhetoric, beyond just the words, beyond the Facebook posts, be, beyond the stupid pictures of your Bible and, and and how great today's devotional time was. Beyond all that, <laughs> if you love Jesus, share this. Right. Beyond all that, people want to know that you will call them to hang out. No one cares about your Instagram picture with your cup of coffee and your journal. I mean, that doesn't do anything for people. It's, hey, so-and-so, you're free to hang out and get coffee. I heard, you know, I just want to see how you're doing. What's going on? That's what matters. That's what matters. I think that's what the Hebrew writer was getting at when he said, don't forsake gathering together like some are. He, he realized even then that this is going to be an issue. That people are going to get so busy in their lives that they're not going to gather together with other believers. And it's going to make it a struggle for everyone because there's now not going to be discipleship happening. There's not going to be fellowship happening. There's not going to be that encouragement and building up and rebuking when it's needed and correction when it's needed. Those are all things that can't happen when you're not gathering together, when you're not having community. And so how, how vital it is now even in our culture which is so busy so packed with everything you have to make sure every minute of every day is scheduled with something to schedule that time in to say no i'm not going to do anything else i'm just going to get together with some of my friends and we're going to just have life together we're just going to live and we're going to talk and we're going to share experiences and it most likely will come around to talking about God and the scriptures because that's what we're all into. And how much more in this day do we need that that we don't forsake getting together? Yeah. Yeah. Any um I mean it's it's an hour 10 minutes if you can believe it <laughs> again just flown by. This to me I think out of all the subjects I know I'm passionate about everything but Mentally in my head, I'm I'm the most – I think about this stuff the most. I don't think about Donald Trump the most. I don't think about politics the most. I think about the church. And I think about it because the church, I truly believe, is the hope of the world. Like it is the vehicle that Christ is using to bring people to himself. So all the more important that, that we're doing it in an effective way. That's why I'm so passionate about this. But I want to give you guys the floor before we get ready to wrap up. Jordan, any final thoughts you have on this before we – we call it a night. Yeah, I was just uh, I was thinking because we were joking about Dan Carlin earlier, and Tim and I are both big Dan Carlin fans. And it was actually I was listening to one of his podcasts, and um, kind of listening to that and thinking about our podcast is kind of what uh, brought up the idea for this topic because he he uses this term sometimes, and he's applying it to like political views and things like that. 
Um, but he talks about having like a Martian perspective on things where, you know, you have the perspective of an outsider looking in at something going on. And, you know, I, you, as, mu- as much as we're called to be in our world and in our culture and in the lives of the people around us, mm-hmm. we're also foreigners here, you know, like, like I was saying earlier, like, and th- I think that's the, an important thing to remember in this is, you know, we're not from here. We don't have allegiances to, you know, the governments or the cultures of this world. There's a culture and there's a kingdom that is elsewhere, you know, that we are allegiant to. And it sounds so out there and so like ethereal. And, and that's what I think the problem is a lot of times with, you know, the, the gap in the biblical worldview is often not, do you believe these things? It's, it's, do the things that you believe actually have an effect on the way that you live your life? And I think that's, what's important about having a biblical world worldview is, you know, are you going to let the things the Bible teaches and the things that Jesus thinks are important actually affect the real decisions that you make in your life day to day and actually affect your reality? Absolutely. And I think, well, now I think I know if you, you can say you believe something all you want, but if you, if that, if that belief doesn't affect how you live, I don't know if you really believe it. Right. That's what it comes down to. You know, in a lot of ways, I think a lot of well-intentioned Christians who have a belief are really pretty atheistic in their belief because they really believe that God was who he says he was and that Christ was raised from the dead and that the same power of Christ lives, uh, who rose Christ from the dead is inside of us. I, if you really believe that, I'm pretty sure your life would look a little bit different. If you really believe that 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 that, that the Bible was God breathed and God ordained, and in that in that it's the breath of God speaking through it, and that God is a real being who desperately is in love with you so much that He would sacrifice Himself on a cross so we can be reconciled to Him. If you really believe that, it would change the way you live. So I agree, Jordan. You know completely that that for a lot of people. This idea of oh I believe these things but they're like a belief only it doesn't fly in reality maybe maybe in our culture it does we all have these nice little thoughts but if it, if they don't change how we live then do we really believe them I'm not I'm not I'm not so sure honestly and that's kind of my final thought is as much as you know this subject is so huge and so big and I, I know that we're just scratching the very top of the iceberg um, I don't really know. Well, I know, but it's a matter of time before I think, um, I guess, Christians who are kind of Christians in like name only kind of get weeded out a little bit because, look, I mean, the Bible's pretty clear. Persecution is a normal rhythm of the Christian culture. You look, at, you look through it, you look, you look at throughout history, it's happened all over the place. It's only a matter of time before in America, you know, something happens that really starts making people making people put their money where their mouth is. And, uh, you know, it's going to be a scary time for sure. But, again, look at the Bible. I mean, we're not guaranteed this happy, cushy life. We've been privileged to live where we live. And I'm grateful for it. I, I do want to keep it that way. I'm not hoping that persecution comes and that we have to go underground and in hiding. But at the same time, if that was to happen, I can't say I'm surprised because the life of the Christian could call you there. And I can't say that Christianity would diminish either if that was the question. Yeah. I think it would flourish. Yeah. But um, just one of my, my thoughts that I've had kind of related to this subject and 
a gripe that I've had for a while about uh, churches in America is kind of, I think it fits in with what we are saying. We want everything compartmentalized and we want everything done very quickly and let's just get straight to the point. And so our, our Sunday services have become so jammed together that really the pastor that's giving the message is giving an all-in-one message. So he's giving encouragement for believers. He's giving um, rebuke for those that need rebuking. He's giving um, gospel for those that aren't even saved. But it's all in one sermon. And how confusing that is for somebody who comes in who is very new to the Bible and doesn't know anything. He's hearing, oh, you have to live a certain way. And, well, I guess i got to live this way then. And they're, they're getting all of these teachings that are so mixed with doctrine and theology and uh, Christian beliefs that it's, it's not creating genuine believers, it's just creating false disciples. Where I think even when you go back to the ministry of Christ, you see times where the passage says, and he said to the crowd. But then you read other passages and he says, and he said to the disciples. There was specific moments and specific messages for a, a select group. So we should be pre preaching the gospel to whoever wants to come and hear it. But encouragement or um, correction for believers, I think, should be a separate service that shouldn't be in that, that same gospel message because now we're, we're cross-contaminating and we're saying two different messages to the same person. Especially in a 30-minute sermon. Right. Because God knows my attention span is maybe 25 minutes tops. And that's how it is in our culture, you know. So, absolutely, Rob. No, I, I think that's You're probably like point, 10 so. minutes. Maybe. maybe. <laughs> High 11s. You know? I'm, surprised, I'm surprised he makes it through the podcast. Seriously. Well, you know, I'm trying real hard these days. Um, great, guys. Well, that's a great discussion. I feel like we can go for hours on this. And maybe we'll continue this next week. Uh, maybe we'll kind of go into a, a part two of of what this kind of springboards into because obviously it leads into a whole bunch of other things. I think about the visual I have in my head is, is a tree. So maybe we're seeing the trunk and then, then there's all these branches all over the place and they're all kind of connected. Um, so there's definitely a lot to unpack here. So we'll see what happens for next week's episode. But yeah, I think like Jordan said when we were talking about what to do this week, he, he was like, I think we should do this topic because it's been the theme throughout the past several podcasts that this is the central theme to everything else we've been talking about yeah you know, especially the political landscape i think affirms this you know so many christians i'm a christian i'm a christian yeah in belief maybe kind of in your head but in practicality what what what's your lens because you know what who's who is popular right now is kind of mind-blowing no matter on what side you look at uh for the christians so it, it definitely i think affirms a lot of these things that we're, we're seeing more and more and more so yeah um yeah awesome well, guys, thanks so much, uh, Rob, of course, and Jordan. Rob, thanks for opening your house again to us, as you have for the past several weeks. So. Hey, it's my pleasure. <laughs> yeah, well, I appreciate it. So everyone out there, thank you so much for joining us on this episode. Uh, thanks for hanging in. I know we were we covered so many. We kind of did one like uh, one big broad stroke of just covering so many different topics at once. But this stuff is so, in my head, just so connected. It all ties in together. So we'll see what happens uh, next week if we can keep continue if we can continue down this path because the church is something that I really love to talk about and discuss and I think the church is so tied into this this topic of the uh, the great divide so to speak so which I think we should name our podcast by the way Rob looking at you over there so 
rename our podcast? No, 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 no. This, this episode. episode. Oh. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> yes. no. Yes, let's rename our podcast The Great Divide. Like, yeah. It, it, nothing says unity like The Great Divide. Correct. It's a pretty good name, though. <laughs> Everyone, have a great, uh, great rest of your weeks. We will touch base with you guys again soon. Thanks so much for listening to us. If you like the podcast, please share it. That would be awesome. Um, and please let us know your comments. Yes. Get back to us. We yes. want to hear from you. Yeah. Even if do. you don't think we argue enough. Yes, whatever it is. Any feedback is good feedback. So um, you can reach us on our Facebook page at, uh, what's our email address again? again Podcast Rob? at coffeetheologyandjesus.com. Uh, duh. So yeah, you can reach us there. But uh, yeah, so thanks everyone for listening. We will catch you guys soon. Thank you. All right, thank you. Now I can rest, my job is done